Beloved congregation of the Lord, turn with me again in the Holy Scriptures to Jeremiah 31 and verse 9. They shall come with weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Well, brothers and sisters in the Lord, will you agree with me at one of the marks which may be to determine true religion and false religion is to determine which religion produces more love to God. Show me a religion that does not produce love to God and I will show you something worthless, something that is only fit to be spewed out of the Lord's mouth. That true religion which the Bible speaks of is that which produces true glory unto the name of God, sincere and from the heart. And how terrible it is when people have a religion that leaves their hearts stone cold towards their God. I see it in a very sad way when I speak to the growing Muslim community here in London, where I would speak to a Muslim person. It's almost like you're having the same conversation over and over. How is it that you can enter into heaven? Well, more works, more obedience, more prayers, more fasting, they will say. Do you know that you will go to heaven We may ask them, and 100 out of 100 Muslims will say, I do not know, I cannot know, it's impossible to know. I must try harder and harder, but even at the very end, I may discover that it was not good enough, and so God may cast me forth into hell, such is their false god Allah. Such is their false religion, a work of the devil, leaving them enslaved to a religion that cannot produce genuine love to God. For how can you love a God who has no regard for you? Impossible. Impossible. Indeed, sometimes I will ask a Muslim This simple question, suppose that the gospel of Jesus Christ were true. Suppose it were true that God had set his love upon sinners like you from before the foundation of the world. Suppose he had sent forth his son in order to live a perfect life, to die the death that you deserve, to endure the punishment of hell on the cross in your place. Suppose this was the sure guarantee And as you receive this gift in faith, you will certainly enter into heavenly glory and know yourself to be beloved by the Father even today. Would this produce more love for God than you have today? And if they are honest, they would say yes. If Christianity were true, I would love God so, so much. 
And it's to our shame, brothers and sisters, that this glorious truth of the gospel does not nurture in us a childlike love and reverence as it should. The gospel of Jesus Christ holds forth the love of God the Father. Dr. Gill writes concerning this, All the blessings of grace which God bestows upon men, whether Jews or Gentiles, all flow from a prior relation he stands in to them. He first takes them into the relation of children and is a father to them in covenant and then bestows children's blessings and covenant mercies on them. What is the first prayer that many of us have learned to pray from our mother's and father's knee? That prayer which begins, Our Father, which art in heaven. Having that attitude towards God as a loving Father, it should transform our lives. It should be that which directs everything in this life. Remember Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If God is our Father means what? That without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. All things must be subservient to my salvation. It transforms all of life, you see. For where God is your Father, everything will work together for your good, for he cares for you, dear Christian, as his very son or daughter. And so it is. This is not only in the, Old, in the New Testament, also in the Old. Our text speaks with the voice of God, I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. And this theme of the father And the fatherhood of God towards his children permeates the verse. It is a verse of leading God's powerful hand, leading his people in all of life's journey. They shall come with weeping, with supplications. Will I lead them? I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way wherein they will, shall not stumble. So it is that the fatherhood of God is set forth here towards his adopted children. Oh, may it please the Lord to open up our hearts to receive the glorious riches of this text from the word of God. May his Holy Spirit work in us that we may be stirred up to seek the Lord's face and adore him as his glorious grace befits. With the Lord's help, we will consider the Father's leading, the Father's leading. First, we will see fatherly love. Secondly, fatherly care. And third, fatherly correction. Fatherly love, fatherly care, and fatherly correction. Well, this theme of God as Father, it brings to mind the highest of truths. It is something that the Apostle Paul begins the book of Ephesians with in that glorious first chapter 
unfolding the riches of the gospel with these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. You see, by nature we are children of wrath. By nature we are children of the devil. But where God saves a person, man or a woman or a boy or girl, he brings them into his family of grace. And he does so because he has set his love upon them before the foundation of the world and given his son that they may be united unto the one same family, Christ as our elder brother, God as our father. And I say this is something that was known also to the believers of the old covenant. It was set forth, yes, with different language, but still very prominent. Very often, the language of the old covenant church, which God gave them, was that they are all corporately, as one, the son of God, the adopted son, the firstborn son. And so God, Jehovah, speaks unto Moses in Exodus 4, verse 22. Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I shall say unto thee, Let my son go that he may serve me. And indeed, there was some unique way in which the entire nation of Israel was corporately in one unity among all the other nations and families of the earth, the firstborn Son of God, appointed unto a place of prominence and glory among all nations. But it certainly applied in the greatest sense unto the believers of that people, among those who indeed were appointed unto eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so the truth abides and is set forth also in this chapter of the Word of God, which especially is directed to the corporate unity of the visible Israel according to the flesh, but also as a spiritual type and picture of the church of all ages, particularly under the new covenant. It's all here in verse 9. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Well, children, you may Remember, not that very long ago, there was a baptism service in this church where we spoke of Ephraim, Ephraim, that son of the patriarch Joseph, who received this name and received a unique blessing from the Lord. You remember how it was that Joseph, that man who was the leader of all uh, of all Egypt under the Lord's blessing. He was 
uh, bringing his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to his father, the patriarch Israel, or Jacob. And as he brings his two sons, who have been born to an Egyptian uh, an Egyptian woman, and he's taken that woman in, as his wife. The thing brings these two sons, which have never encountered their grandfather before. The Israel or Jacob, he's not laid eyes on them, perhaps. And so what he does is he bestows a blessing to them. But as he does, he stretches forth his right hand and puts it on the younger boy named Ephraim. And he puts his left hand on Manasseh, the older and in Genesis 48, verse 15, we read of the blessing that he spoke. He spoke to Joseph in the first place. God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, did walk. The God which fed me all my life long unto this day. The angel which redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads and let my name be placed on them. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of all the earth. Joseph, when he saw that the right hand of blessing had gone upon the younger son, he sought to object and say, no, that, that right hand should go on the older son. And yet, you see that Israel or Jacob, he insists, he insists, he says, I know my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, speaking of Manasseh. And he also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. As you see it unfold, Jacob receives, as it were, a double portion of inheritance. His two Sons, both Ephraim and Manasseh, they receive a portion as a people, as their descendants multiply into distinct tribes in the people of Israel. And they receive an inheritance, each one of them in the land, both of those tribes. And over time, given the prominence, given the power and the, the numbers of this tribe of Ephraim, uniquely blessed of the Lord, it becomes a prominent tribe, such that it is a shorthand for the entire northern kingdom. You'll remember that at one point in the history of the people of God, the ten tribes separate from Judah and Benjamin, which make up the southern kingdom called Judah. And yet the prophets would speak of that northern kingdom, also calling them to repentance, calling them unto faith in the living God, and often referring to all of those ten tribes, all of those people under the name Ephraim, such as Hosea chapter 5 and verse 3. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hid from me, but now, O Ephraim, thou committest whoredom. And Israel is defiled. They will not frame their doings in turn unto their God. For the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them. And they have not known the Lord. And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them.
Oh, a terrible thing to contemplate. One who has received a blessing from God, even the covenant blessings of the Lord. Perhaps you have received a blessing from the Lord, raised in a Christian family. The sign and seal of the covenant placed upon you in baptism. Perhaps you have heard the blessings of God spoken unto you, and yet, like Ephraim of old, you have committed whoredoms. You have committed sacrilege. You have committed terrible sins against the God of heaven, seeking the pleasures of the world and of the devil in the place of the pure service of your God who has so blessed you. And I tell you now, though God would be just and righteous to cast such lawbreakers out of his presence forever, this is not his character. The character of God is long-suffering, merciful, abundant in goodness and truth, willing to receive lawbreakers. We see it in this chapter. The same Ephraim, the same northern kingdom that had sinned every manner of sin and been driven into captivity and judgment for their sins. He yet says, I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. His love abides faithful even where we are unfaithful. Oh, dear Christian, does it move you? Does it move you to consider how many times you have betrayed your God? And yet he will not forsake you. His character, is it not like that of the father in the parable of the prodigal son? That son who spent his father's inheritance and spent it all on prostitutes, went into a distant land, was reduced to eating pig food for having spent and wasted the inheritance. And upon returning, desiring but to be the slave of his father, he is not greeted with a father who has folded his arms in disapproval with a scowl. No, the father seeks his son, runs after him, embraces him in love, kills the fatted calf. My son was dead, but now he lives. Glory unto our God, the amazing love and mercy of the father unto his sinful children. You see it in the latter part of this chapter, Isaiah, Jeremiah 31, verse 20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. What an encouragement. A sinner who is appointed to be a child of light in the kingdom to come. They may wander long. They may wander far. They may wander in the ways of the world, but where the Lord sets his love upon them, they can be drawn back. Do our hearts burn in love for those who have departed from the church of God and do not walk in his ways? Even family members and precious covenant children, we may take our solace in this, even where we cannot reach them, even where our arms are too shortened to lay hold upon them, the strong arm of our Father may yet reach them. Shall we pray, brothers and sisters, for the departed 
among us, those who have gone out into the pleasures of the world, that the Lord may draw them back. It is not too late while it is yet the day of grace, where there is still breath in the lungs. There is still that opportunity to plead upon the mercy of God and Christ. Oh, we see much of the love of the Father here, but I want to also bring you to the second consideration, the fatherly care that we see here. Look at the whole verse again. They shall come with weeping and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. You see, whereas our earthly fathers may love us, may pray for us, may seek to instruct us, and we know that their power is only so great. We know that their wisdom is only so pure. We know that their intentions are often so much short of what the law of God requires. Even the best of fathers are sinners. And many fathers fall far short of their duty to be true fathers and images of God the Father unto their families. But where we speak of this father, this most loving of fathers. We have a father who may ordain all things in our lives for our good. Every day that you draw breath, dear one, it is in the school of your father. He is teaching you lessons. The things that happen in your life, they are not just happening to you. But all things are ordained that you may walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You walk this earthly pilgrimage and journey in the strength and presence of your father. For he will not allow his children to be his orphans. No. He will not allow them to live as though they are children of the devil. No, where his love gets hold of them where he reveals his love unto them, he will direct them, he will lead them, he will guide them by his word and spirit, by his providence, by his unsearchable wisdom, all things ordered for their good. The Old Testament saints knew of this as well. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses spake in this way, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31, and in the wilderness where thou hast seen how the Lord thy God bear thee, as a man doth bear his son in all the way that ye went until he came into this place. Speaking of the promised land, well, if God knows how to carry his dear son Israel through the wilderness into the promised land of Canaan, so much also the wilderness of this world. The Lord will ensure that each one of his children arrive home. He will ensure that each one arrive at their appointed destination. Look again. They shall come with weeping and with supplications. Will I lead them? I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way. Did not the Lord Jesus say something about that? Narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads unto life and few there be that find it. 
Broad is the way that leads unto destruction, and many enter in thereat. His straight way unto heavenly glory, it is ordained for you, child of God. Do not consider the ways of this world as open to you whatsoever. That way lies death and destruction. You have been redeemed from that. Your journey is unto the land of promise, unto the land of heavenly glory and joys. This world is not your home ultimately. And so you must not wander from the path. You must stay upon that appointed path where the Lord Jesus reveals himself unto you and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Christ is the way, you see, the straight way, the straight path. It comes unto us by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, by holding fast to him in trusting faith, by learning of him, taking his yoke upon us, and finding that his burden is light, that he brings true rest unto our souls. Here it is to be a genuine Christian, a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are on the path to heaven. And it is not a path of sin, but righteousness. Not a path of compromise, but uprightness. Not a path of depravity, but of purity and integrity, of honesty. What have we to do with the pleasures of this world? Cast it out, Christian. Cast away every burden. It will hinder you on your journey. You must walk the straight path. God has ordained it. God has equipped you. God has given you his spirit. Not that you would walk in the ways of the world, but that you would walk in the way of glory. And his love is orchestrating it all. And his fatherly care for you is in it all. What is especially denoted here by the language used? Walk by the rivers of waters. Well, interpreters, they really have two options here. They can express it as these are those gentle uh, waters that God brings his people to for refreshment. That is how some commentators go. But as I was studying the Hebrew and looking at other ways in which this language is used, I came to a different conclusion. I'm persuaded that the word of God here is not speaking of the calm waters of nourishment, but the stormy and the difficult waters of tribulation. And a number of things would lead me to that. Let me just bring you to another portion of the word of God, Psalm 124. Would you turn there with me? Psalm 124, a short psalm, so we'll read the entire psalm. A song of degrees of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quickly. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters, the waters had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us up as a prey 
to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. What a glorious portion of the word of God. Enemies beset the people of God. In those days, the enemies of the Gentile nations. Today, the enemies of sin, the devil, the world, our own sinful flesh. Everything is arrayed against you, Christian. It all threatens to overwhelm you, to consume you as the rushing, gushing, crashing waves of water would overwhelm. And yet, those proud waters will not have the final say. No, the Lord, who has made heaven and earth, he is on our side. He will redeem. He will protect. So it is in the major section that we are in here, in Jeremiah's prophecy. You go through this whole section, Jeremiah 30 and 31, and so much here is about trial, about worry. We read it, do we not, there in, um, in verse 30, where it says in verse 5, Thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling and of fear and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins and a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, and he shall be saved out of it. So it is a particular time of Jacob's trouble seems to be denoted here, a time of special trial, which will bring about a glorious revival among the Jewish people, bringing them back into the salvation of the church and the gospel of Christ, as indeed I've argued in the past about this. But we may also draw out the general principle. You, child of God, may enter into many seasons of deep trouble, many trials in which you may feel as though the grashing waves of circumstances will overwhelm you and consume you whole. Where else shall you look, dear one, but the God who made heaven and earth? He is our help. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Our help is in our glorious Father. Listen to what our Heidelberg Catechism says here. What believest thou when thou sayest, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that in the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ, his Son, my God and my Father, on whom I rely so entirely, and I have no doubt, but he will prove me with all things necessary for soul and body, and further, that he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage, for he is able to do it being almighty God and willing, being a faithful father. I love what John Calvin writes here about this verse. Listen to what John Calvin says. 
God surmounts all obstacles when it is his purpose to save his church. For how much soever all the elements may unite against the salvation of the godly, God can by one breath dissipate them all and cast down the loftiest mountains that may be in his way and give rivers in deserts and dry lands. And thus he can constrain to obey him whatever may seem opposed to the salvation of his church. Here it is. A straight path he will lead us down, but yes, beside the troubled waters. Troubled waters of difficulty, health challenges, marriage problems, family problems, financial problems, great workings of the word of God upon our soul where we feel utterly convicted of our sin and cry out, feeling the hand of God heavy upon us. Seasons of spiritual desertion where it may feel as though the light burns so very dimly that it's hard to see your way through. I do not know your burdens, dear one. I do not know your trials and troubles, but I know one whose strength is more than capable of carrying you through them, of leading you through them. Do not despair, dear one, if you are feeling the waves and the wind and the trials and the circumstances. His arm is sure. It is not shortened that it cannot save. He will not reject his own. Well, therefore, we see not only the love of the Father, but the care of the Father. We'll be returning to this verse in the evening service, so I won't exhaust this third point, but just begin to introduce it. That is fatherly correction. Fatherly correction. And shall come with weeping and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. Glorious thing held forth here. We, of course, would be prone to stumble. We, of course, are prone to stumble every single day. And yet the Lord has this purpose, that as he leads them, he will give them all things necessary that they would continue to walk down that path. You see that there's much heart burden that goes with this leading. There is weeping. There is supplications and prayers, dependence upon God. That is the case, isn't it? It's not an easy road to heaven. It's not that you just coast into heaven. No. With much tribulation shall we enter into the kingdom of God. But it's everything to be on that journey, dear one. It's everything to have God as your father now. Do not think that because you feel much burdened in your soul, that you feel much trouble in your circumstances, that the Lord is not at work in you. Could it be the Lord would have you to receive correction? What would lead someone to cry and to plead for the mercy of God as they are led by the hand of a father? Is it not that the father corrects his children? Can you imagine a father that never corrected his children? That would be a father that didn't love his children but hated his children. A father that does not even spank his children upon necessary does not really love them. So it is Hebrews 12, verse 6, For whom the, father, whom the Lord loveth, 
He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, sorry, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, dear one. If the Lord is dealing with you today and putting his finger upon some sins in your life, do not harden your heart. Do not continue to stumble and fall, but allow him to lift up your feet, lift up your back, walk continually in the ways of the Lord, indeed grieving your sin and confessing your sin, but knowing that his love abides sure. He is merciful. He will receive you. He will deal well with all of his children. He cannot deny himself. Amen.